A'udhu Billah Minash Shaitan Ar-Rajeem Bismillah Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim In the name of God, most merciful, ever merciful and may God's peace and blessings be upon His Holy Prophet Muhammad and the purified members of His household and progeny Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ali Muhammad wa ajil farajahum Brothers, sisters, respected viewers Assalamu alaikum jami'an wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh And thank you once again for joining us in our series Life, the Islamic Answer, where as you will remember, we are now discussing the heading of the community of knowledge. So after we established the importance of intellect, knowledge, reason in Islam, and we saw that in our religion, ignorance and foolishness are not an option, are not an acceptable alternative, so therefore we have to come back to knowledge and reason. We saw that the two conditions that our religion imposes on any type of knowledge or knowledge-related activity are that the actions or the knowledge-seeking or the application of the knowledge first has to be with sincerity and secondly that it is accompanied with action, that it cannot stay at the level of information that we carry. <clears throat> and then we embarked on a study of what it means to be a learner in Islam in detail. And then we discussed what it means to carry knowledge and to become a scholar and to become a teacher in Islam. And then we said we need to put all of this together as the learner and the teacher are not the only two people who carry who seek, who share knowledge, that this lives within a group of other human beings. And this is what we call a community. And we said that when we discussed the topic of community, we see how our religion gives a very big importance to the collective dimension. That what matters in Islam is not only us as an individual, but us as a collective, as a group working together. And so we established what our religion says about community, the social or the communal or the collective dimension. And we said within the larger community in Islam, the Holy Quran, the narrations also talk about communities within the community. And we saw multiple examples of these communities. And the one we are trying to establish and we are trying to explain is specifically the community of knowledge. These are people within the greater community. They belong to other communities, including the larger community of Islam, the larger community of the followers and the lovers of Ahl al-Bayt, But what binds these people together is that they understand, they appreciate knowledge and reason. And this is what brings them together. And we saw that this is established in the Holy Qur'an itself, and this is established in many, many narrations, and we have seen a few of them. Given all of this, we said, therefore, what does it mean when we talk about a community of knowledge in our religion? And the first question we have to specifically ask is, who will belong to this community? 
we know for a fact, because we spent so many lectures on this, that there is a learner. Those who seek knowledge in Islam are part of this community. And there are those who share what they already know. Let's call them the teacher or the scholar. But who else has to be part of this community? And we started to go through the narrations and we saw that the narrations don't give a lot of options for anyone to be outside of the community of knowledge. So the narrations that are a little bit more flexible, they gave us a few categories. They said that in order to be in the greater community of the Holy Prophet or the communities of the Imams, the options are that you become someone who carries the knowledge, the scholar, the teacher, or you are a seeker of knowledge, you're the learner, officially the learner, or you are at least someone who is constantly in the gatherings of knowledge, or as a last resort, you are at least a lover of those gatherings and those who participate in those gatherings. And we saw these ahadith and we said they seem to be the more flexible ahadith because they give us these multiple categories. There are other ahadith and we looked at some adiyah, namely the dua from Imam al-Hujjah in which he said there are those who provide the knowledge, those who seek the knowledge, and those who listen. So they are not officially seekers of knowledge, but they are listening in, and they follow the advice that they hear. But they are not at the rank of the official seekers of knowledge, nor are they officially at the rank of those who are sharing the knowledge. And so this is a little bit more restrictive. And then we looked at perhaps the most difficult of the conditions to meet, and this is what we saw in the famous hadith of Imam Ali السلام, to his close companion, Kumail, Kumail ibn Ziyad, in which Imam Ali السلام, said, there are only three types of people. There is the divine scholar. There is someone who is on a path to being rescued because of the knowledge they are seeking. And there are the masses. And Imam Ali السلام, did not have very nice things to say about those masses. Because he said, they tend to lean in every which way. Whatever the trend of the day may be, whatever the latest call and the latest trend may be, this is the direction that the masses are going to follow. And this is because they lack knowledge. They lack critical thinking. And they're not sure of their footing. They don't understand where they stand, what their identity is, what their values are, where the truth is. And so they keep leaning in every way. And so, therefore, when we look at these types of categories that have been presented in the ahadith, we see clearly that the options that we have are either to be a scholar or a learner or someone who is in that vicinity, even though they are not officially a scholar or a learner. But everyone needs to be part of the community of learning, the community of knowledge. Then we started to talk about the how. Now that we know the who, we started to talk about the how.
And today, inshallah, we're going to emphasize and we're going to keep going a little bit further in those two discussions, who and how. The how we said, and we started to see the ahadith about this, the importance of organizing, of participating in, of being part of gatherings of knowledge. And this is a specific type of gathering. It's not every gathering that is religious that we can call a gathering of knowledge. And we saw the ahadith about this. There has to be some sort of knowledge sharing, knowledge receiving, questioning, discussion at least, of knowledge taking place in those gatherings so that those gatherings are considered to be gatherings of knowledge. And we already talked about, and we saw it in the ahadith, and today this is perhaps even more relevant than it used to be in the past, to attend in person. And there's a very big difference between looking at a screen and attending in person. And inshallah, we're going to see a few more ahadith related to this. Or in the past, this perhaps applied more to learn only from books. There's a difference between learning from a book and learning from someone who is teaching that book, that you have access to, that you can see in action, that you can interact with. The learning that takes place is very different in those two contexts, in any case. So this is what we have covered until now, and inshallah, we are going to continue with this. The next question related to the who. So this is inshallah the new content that we're covering now. All of this was a recap. So the new content that we're covering, we're continuing with the who is part of this community, who is going to be part of the community of knowledge, now we want to focus very quickly on, as a community, where does the source of knowledge come from? And we spent over 30 lectures talking about the person who carries the knowledge. We don't want to be too repetitive. What our religion says about the scholar, the teacher, the person who carries the knowledge. Today we want to focus a little bit more on specifically the community aspect of that. To see what our religion says about this. As a quick reminder, what we covered when we talked about the scholar, when we talked about the teacher, the person we choose as a source of knowledge, the things that we covered, and there were multiple ahadith related to this, the importance of their humility, that they are humble and modest, and that they teach humility and modesty, and we're going to see that again today, the importance of their manners, the importance of their kindness and compassion, Versus arrogance, both ways, in terms of how they are and in terms of what they teach. And th we saw that this was a recurrent theme. We saw the importance of fearing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, having religiousness, having piety, having God awareness, that God is present for this person, secondly. Thirdly, that it is someone in the ahadith, there's a insistence on this, that it is someone who models what they teach, that they live by what they teach, that you can say this is someone who applies to themselves what they are preaching. This is important. We saw, and inshallah today we're going to see a reminder of this, the importance of their competence. So competence, first, the obvious one should be that they have the information, that they carry the knowledge that they need 
so that you can say this is someone who is a specialist, who is an expert. They know what they're talking about. That's first. But secondly, that they have expertise, they have specialization in the ability to teach, to communicate the information, to know what to communicate, in what way, and to whom. And we saw a lot of ahadith related to this, and inshallah today there will be a quick reminder through a couple of ahadith. We saw in there the wisdom in choosing what they teach from religion. There is so much to cover in religion. One aspect of it, for instance, is making sure that you are covering the priorities, that people are getting equipped with the priorities before you move to the, the things that are perhaps secondary. They're nice-to-haves. If you don't have the must-haves, don't move to the nice-to-haves yet. That's one. Another aspect of this is that, and this is explicitly mentioned in multiple narrations as we saw, the ability to teach religion in a balanced way so that people are as loving and hopeful in their relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as they are fearful. Because if you go on one side too far, it's going to distort the relationship with Allah. If you go too far on the compassion and the loving, loving God aspect, then perhaps this might create an excuse for people to forget the fear of God and to think that anything and everything goes, which is sometimes a tendency that we see. And on the other side, you go too far in fearing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and His anger and His punishment, and there is no room left for His mercy, and it looks like it is an angry, scary God, which He is not. There is a way to strike a balance in teaching about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and there is an insistence about this in the narrations. We saw the importance of, I'm going to call it the energy, the output, the stamina of this person in order to be able to continuously produce, to give output, because this is their defining trait, that they are there, available, being able to continue with consistent output. Versus everything we saw related to withholding knowledge, not sharing because of an inability, an incapacity, or a lack of will. So what good is the knowledge that is carried if it is not being shared? We saw the importance to be a scholar according to the criteria that we saw in our religion, to be someone who spreads certainty, who makes people more firm, more sure of their religion, their faith, their values, their beliefs, as opposed to being someone who spreads doubt and constant questioning. And in fact, it ends up creating a lot of people who are constantly either leaving or at least questioning their faith and their beliefs and their religion. And we saw in a number of ahadith, one of the criteria that is mentioned is it has to be someone, and this is part of the merit or the rank of this person, how do I choose this person? How do I become this person? The person has to be someone who reminds you of God or who reminds you of the afterlife. That's the defining criteria. If you're unsure, this is the final criteria that is given to us by Ahlul Bayt Is it someone whose sight, 
whose words, whose actions bring you closer to Allah, they remind you of God, they remind you of death, they remind you of the afterlife. This is how you want to be and this is how you want to behave in this world because there is an afterlife. If it is, you're on the right track. So this we all covered. Now very quickly, the discussion is as a community of knowledge. What does this mean? As communities of knowledge, if we continue the discussion we've started already, this means that as a community we have to be selective, we have to be picky in who we choose, in who we promote, in who we invite to become the source of our knowledge. And to the extent possible, this is what we need to be looking for. In other words, there has to be an intention, there has to be a deliberate will as a community, perhaps sitting together, discussing this, agreeing on this, that there are criteria we're looking for. This is not random. The way we choose the source of knowledge cannot be left to randomness. We have too many criteria. We have a list that we should be able to check off that Ahlul Bayt have given us on what the source of knowledge needs to be. What kind of mold we're looking for. What kind of patterns we're looking for. So the first hadith, and this one we spent a little bit of time on, so I'm not going to repeat all the points we made when we went through this hadith. Now we're looking at it from another angle. Imam Ali salam says, مَن نَصَبَ نَفْسَهُ لِلنَّاسِ إِمَامًا مَن نَصَبَ نَفْسَهُ لِلنَّاسِ إِمَامًا فَعَلَيْهِ أَنْ يَبْدَأَ بِتَعْلِيمِ نَفْسِهِ قَبْلَ تَعْلِيمِ غَيْرِهِ وَلْيَكُنْ تَأْدِيبُهُ بِسِيرَتِهِ قَبْلَ تَأْدِيبِهِ بِلِسَانِهِ وَمُعَلِّمُ نَفْسِهِ وَمُؤَدِّبُهَا أَحَقُّ بِالْإِجْلَالِ مِنْ مُعَلِّمِ النَّاسِ وَمُؤَدِّبُهُمْ So Imam Ali السلام, says, Whoever places himself as a leader of the people, you want to be in a position where you are leading others. And now we are specifically talking about knowledge. You want to lead people in knowledge. Imam Ali السلام, says is giving us criteria. So as the person who wants to be in this role, and as a community looking for someone in this role, this is what we should be looking for. Whoever places himself as a leader of the people should, be should begin with educating his own self, if I want to be literal, his own self before educating others. That's first. And here educating does not just mean that I acquire information gigabytes upon gigabytes of information that I can memorize. The Imam is talking about something a little bit more practical. When he says educating, here he says But then he's going to use another term, which in Arabic is not really to educate as much as it is to train or discipline. And this is what the Imam is talking about. You should start by training yourself, by disciplining yourself before educating and training others. That's one. Then the Imam continues. And his teaching or his training or his discipline 
should be by his conduct. This is someone from whom you can learn more by watching and seeing what their actions are as opposed to listening to the words they have to share. The Imam is not saying this person will not share words. The Imam is not saying there is no way to learn with words. He's simply saying that the actions speak louder. The actions are more important than the words. So the Imam says, and this person's training or discipline of others should be by his conduct, before teaching by the tongue, before using words to teach. And then the Imam continues, nafsih, The person who teaches and trains his own self is more worthy of esteem and respect than the person who teaches and trains others. The true rank of your greatness is how well you have trained yourself, not how well you have trained others. That's secondary. If you do a good job training yourself, the others will learn from your actions. And so the Imam says, the true merit, the true rank, the true criteria is how much you've spent time, energy in yourself, training yourself, educating yourself, disciplining yourself before you move to others. And this means that this is going to show a lot more in who you are, how you conduct yourself and your actions as opposed to the words that you have to share with people. Now, there's a lot that we can cover here and a lot of it we have already seen when we discussed the teacher and the scholar in Islam. So all of that, inshallah, I think is clear. The parts that I think we need to focus on a little bit more. So as a community, when you see this hadith, when you see the criteria given to us by Imam Ali salam, as a community, the question should become, so therefore, who is to be appointed as a source of knowledge? Who is to be promoted as a source of knowledge? To play the role, to play the position of the person who is the teacher, the scholar in a community. That's one. Secondly, the Imam was very clear that there is a need to try to find these specific qualities. Someone who is concerned with applying to themselves their own teachings, one. And two, that they are a greater role model about what they do before the words that they share. Okay? There's a discussion that we had when we talked about when we choose the scholar, when we choose the teacher. So this is a very quick reminder of that. There's a caveat. The caveat is that this may not always be possible. What we should be looking for is what the Imam described. It is someone who is the whole package. They will provide the spiritual dimension, they will provide the theological, religious dimension, as much on the knowledge and information level as the practical level. That's the ideal package we're looking for. But sometimes this package is not to be found. So what do we do? Do we say there's no knowledge to be acquired? No. And we saw the hadith about this. There is no situation, there is no state, there is no excuse in which our religion says it's okay not to seek knowledge. 
You have to acquire it where you find it. And if you can't find, so the, in the situation where this exists, this is what you go for. If this does not exist, then you still look for it. But you focus on the truth, and you focus on the right, and you focus on the things that you know to be correct, and the rest you leave aside. Okay, so this was the quick caveat, and I don't want to spend too much time more on this. Next hadith, in the same topic. The Holy Prophet is still giving us here, in this hadith, more criteria. And I think the hadith, to a large extent, is very clear. The Holy Prophet says, لا تجلسوا عند كل داع مدع يدعوكم من اليقين إلى الشك I'll read the first part, read the translation, and then I'll read the second part and read the translation. لا تجلسوا عند كل داع مدع يدعوكم من اليقين إلى الشك ومن الإخلاص إلى الرياء ومن التواضع إلى الكبر ومن النصيحة إلى العداوة ومن الزهد إلى الرغبة so the first part, the Holy Prophet says, do not sit before just anyone who invites or pretends or claims. Claims to be someone who carries knowledge. Someone who invites you away from conviction and certainty towards doubt. Don't sit beside this person. Don't take this person as a source of knowledge. Someone who makes you constantly doubt. There are things that you know for sure, or you thought you knew for sure, about religion, and this person constantly makes you doubt those things. The Holy Prophet is saying, this is not the source of knowledge you're looking for. And from sincerity towards showing off. Someone who reminds you of the importance of what others are thinking. How are they seeing you? How are they perceiving you? The Holy Prophet says, no, focus on the person who makes you focus on your sincerity. What's the real reason you're doing something? Make sure that that reason is sincere. It's your relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Not arrogance. Not showing off. And from humility towards arrogance. Someone who calls you to arrogance. Always be bigger, better, more dominant, more superior. The Holy Prophet says, no, go to the person who teaches you to be modest. Who teaches you to be humble. And from good counsel towards enmity. Our religion always says the best way to resolve things is compassion, peaceful, unity. And then there is another way to deal with things which is constantly clashing or enmity, hatred. The Holy Prophet says go towards the person who teaches the compassion and kindness and good advice as opposed to enmity and hatred, and from detachment towards wants and desires, detachment from this world. Someone who constantly pulls you back to this world, constantly reminds you of the importance of this world, as opposed to learning how to detach yourself from it. You're not a slave of anything in this world. You have to be higher, you have to be above it. There's a way to look at things and to use this world to improve yourself and to be a better person, to be stronger and better in this world. You're building this world and the next. And there's another way where 
you become a slave to this world. It's all about this world. Wealth, possessions, money, appearances, and so on and so forth. And all of this, the Holy Prophet says, We all have needs. We all have wants. Are you able to keep them in check? To stay disciplined? Or do you simply follow wherever your desires go? The Holy Prophet says, The person who teaches you just follow your desires. Whatever you feel like, that's what's to be avoided. And instead, and so the Holy Prophet gives us the other side of the coin, just to be clear, he could have left it here because the logical conclusion should be clear. No, the Holy Prophet made a point to state it. So the Holy Prophet says, instead, get closer to the scholar who invites you away from arrogance and towards humility, away from showing off towards sincerity, away from doubt towards certainty. And this one, we said, is a big one, and we spent a lot of time on this, the importance of going to those who give us certainty in what we believe, not who spread doubts. Away from worldly desires towards detachment and away from enmity towards good counsel. This was all good and nice. The reason I'm mentioning this hadith is for this part that is even more relevant perhaps to what we're talking about. There's a very strong spiritual dimension in what we covered and it's extremely important. The second part is going to summarize it and go beyond the hadith says, وَلَا يَصْلَحُ لِمَوْعِظَةِ الْخَلْقِ إِلَّا مَنْ خَافَ هَذِهِ الْآفَاتِ بِصِدْقِهِ وَأَشْرَفَ عَلَىٰ عُيُوبِ الْكَلَامِ وَعَرَفَ الصَّحِيحَ مِنَ السَّقِيمِ وَعِلَلَ الْخَوَاطِرِ وَفِتَنَ النَّفْسِ وَالْهَوَىٰ So here the Holy Prophet adds another layer. He's now not only talking in general about what it means to be a good scholar, someone who simply carries knowledge. Now he is specifically talking about the person who wants to preach to others, specifically in that role. And so he starts by saying, and none is qualified, and none is capable of preaching, teaching, giving advice to people, except... And now he's going to give us the conditions. This is very clear. This is a checklist. We can't say our religion didn't tell us who to go for. And the checklist is very meticulous, very accurate, very academic, if we wanted to say it in today's world, today's words. The Holy Prophet says, first, accept the one who sincerely fears these illnesses, these conditions, these afflictions, because he just described things like arrogance and uncertainty and desiring this world. So first, we're looking for sincerity. Someone who sincerely is fearful or hateful of these bad you know, illnesses of the soul or heart. That's one. We're looking for sincerity. So it starts from within. Then the Holy Prophet says, And who is well aware of the defects of speech. Someone who knows how to communicate the information appropriately. 
so that people understand. You understand when they're talking what is correct and what is incorrect. There are flaws in the speech, and he's going to go even further in thinking. There are certain ways people think and certain ways people talk. And a lot of people, because they haven't been trained, what they're saying and what they're thinking does not match. They might think the right thing, they are not able to express it in the right words. Or to say it in a way that is convincing, clear, concise, so that you get to the point and you don't think, leave things hanging. All of this falls under this person having knowledge of the defects of speech. I'm looking for someone who knows how to communicate. And I'm specifically choosing the word communicate. Today when you go to university, one of the disciplines you can study, and you can get a full bachelor's or a master's degree and continue your studies, is called communication. This is very different than saying someone who knows how to speak. No, no, I'm saying someone who knows how to communicate. Communicate takes everything else into consideration. Not only information being shared. Who is receiving the information? In what context? What are the priorities? Through which channels? What's the time? What is the audience? What is required? What are the priorities? What else is going on in culture, in society? And the, the Holy Prophet is going to mention that. He's going to hint to that in the hadith. All of that falls under communication. The Holy Prophet is being very clear. Someone who is well aware of the defects of speech or communication. And then he says, and who distinguishes between that which is sound and that which is an ailment. Or in another way, because he's using maybe a metaphorical language, It's as though he's saying between healthy and unhealthy. Or in another way, he's saying truth and falsehood. Right and wrong. This person has to have that ability at least. And this ability becomes a lot more important when you're preaching. When you're a public figure. When you're asked questions. And usually the questions are not going to be about things that are entirely black, entirely white, entirely clear. Those are easy. There wouldn't be any questions about them. They're going to be about things that are ambiguous, things that are unclear, gray, the in-between. Is this person able to distinguish between the healthy and the unhealthy, between truth and falsehood in those situations? That's what we're looking for. The Holy Prophet continues, and the defects, the defects of thinking, the defects of thought, the khatara is a thought that crosses your mind. This person has this type of expertise. They know how people think. So when I say something, I know where your mind goes. And where you're, when you're asking something, I know where it's coming from. You may not be using the right words for it, but I know where it's coming from. I understand how people think. This is what the Holy Prophet is saying. And perhaps there is also a spiritual or religious dimension to this. Where does the mind wander? These are also khawatar. Where does your mind lean towards? You have to be able to acknowledge that, understand it, and address it in what you're communicating. 
And then the Holy Prophet says, وَفِتَنِ النَّفْسِ وَالْهَوَى And so these are the tests and the tribulations of the soul and someone's desires. So, in other words, the Holy Prophet is saying, this is someone who understands human beings. You understand what pulls inside of you. You want to be good, but there are weaknesses. You know what is right, but you're going to be pulled in another way. It has to be someone who understands these faculties and how to address them and how to talk about them and how to give the right counsel and the right advice so that people understand and they feel equipped the next time this happens. When you put all of this together, so the Holy Prophet talked about knowledge. So again, I would say here, therefore, as a community, this is our checklist. When I'm looking for the source of knowledge, this is someone who has knowledge. They have information, clearly. What else? This is someone who has morals. What else? This is someone who has enough wisdom and good judgment to know what to choose in religion and how to choose it. What else? They have a high degree of spirituality and sincerity. They believe in what they're teaching. And it has to show in their actions. It has to show in their life. Next. The Holy Prophet talked about what we called earlier in the series expertise in teaching. This is a specialist in their field. They know how to communicate. So this has to do with the type of information that is being shared. And they know how to be effective with people. This is someone who can touch the soul, touch the heart. They are convincing in how they present the information. They understand how people think and what they need to hear. All of this is covered in what the Holy Prophet said, including communicate, yes, including logic and argumentation and being convincing. And it's one thing that I convince you. It's another thing that I equip you so that you can go out there in the world and be convinced and convince others. So that you have the tool. It's not that the moment you hear me talk, you say, yeah, I'm convinced with what this person said, but I'm not really sure how they got there. This is very different. This means I'm not really equipping you. I'm a good speaker. I'm very confident. I know how to provide the information in the right way so that you say, yeah, this was a well-delivered speech. But it doesn't mean that you're necessarily convinced of this yourself. And that you can now take this and openly and sincerely and objectively say, I believe in this and I can go defend what I believe in in the world. This is what we're looking for. Especially in today's world. Correct? The last part that we would add very quickly here, and then I'll move to the next hadith, is that this perhaps has to do with someone who understands, and we're going to come to this in a lot more detail later in the series, someone not only who understands people in general, the human being in general, but who understands today's world. They understand what's going on in society right now. 
They understand society, they understand the political system, the economic system, they understand what people are thinking, what's affecting their thoughts right now. They understand the time, the place and the time. Perhaps if we were to move to Norway, they're dealing with different things. If we move to Australia, they're, they're dealing with other things. If we move to Africa, they're dealing with other things. If my audience are people sitting here right now, they're dealing with different things. What are they dealing with? What's relevant to them? Okay, this is indirectly. We don't have time to go through the hadith in a lot more detail. This is indirectly touched by in the hadith. Someone who understands, and we talked about this when we went through the verse from Surah At-Tawbah. We said the Quran insists that those who are the sources of knowledge in a community are from within. They grew up in that community. They understand the needs of that community. They're not a foreign visitor from the outside. That can have its merits. But the model the Quran presents is that someone from the community becomes an expert, a specialist in religion, to come back to their own people. That's the model that the Quran preaches and presents. And this means that you have to be intimately aware of what your own people need, as opposed to being a visitor who is bringing your own culture and your own history and your own baggage and your own background to a community that may or may not be sharing those concerns and preoccupations and issues. Next hadith. This one, and inshallah here I can go a little bit faster. This one is a little bit more specific about the spirituality of this person. The Holy Prophet says in one hadith, قَالَ عِيسَى بْنُ مَرْيَمْ لِلْحَوَارِيِّينَ تَحَبَّبُوا إِلَى اللَّهِ وَتَقَرَّبُوا إِلَيْهِ قَالُوا يَا رُوحَ اللَّهِ فَمَنْ نُجَالِسُ إِذًا قَالَ مَنْ يُذَكِّرُكُمُ اللَّهِ رُؤْيَتُهُ وَيَزِيدُ فِي عَمَلِكُمْ مَنْطِقُهُ وَيُرَغِّبُكُمْ فِي الْآخِرَةِ عَمَلُهُ So the Holy Prophet says that Prophet Jesus, son of Mary, peace upon him, said to the disciples, Make yourselves more beloved to God and seek nearness to Him. There's a, a whole part of the hadith that I'm skipping to keep it short. And so they ask Prophet Jesus, and so who do we associate with? Whose company do we remain in? Who do you want us to sit with in our gatherings when we sit with people? Who do we sit with? And here he was talking about knowledge and scholars. So he gave them three criteria. And we've mentioned them, mentioned them in the past. This is just a quick reminder. He said, the one whose sight, when you see them, whose sight reminds you of God. That's one. Two, and whose speech increases your actions. So that when you listen to them, you feel now ready to go and act. You say, I've lagged behind. I need to do a lot more. I need to be more positive and more energetic and more vibrant. I have to go do and do good actions, good deeds. This is the kind of energy I want from the speaker, not the opposite. Not, I feel depressed and there is no hope and none of this is going anywhere. Okay, so whose sight reminds you of God? 
whose speech increases your actions and whose actions make you desire the afterlife. You, when you see how this person conducts themselves, their behavior, their decisions, how they are in the world, they remind you of the afterlife. And so this is what we said before, and these are recurrent themes in a lot of ahadith, whether they use this wording or similar wording, the meaning is the same. You want someone who is bringing you closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, who is filling you with hope and energy, making you more positive, that you want to go and act and do good and be a better person. And they remind you that there is an afterlife. There is death. This is the part that we forget. You need this constant reminder. This has to be a source of this reminder. There is death and after death. There is a heaven and hell waiting for us. Therefore, act, live your world, live your life with that in mind. So long as that's kept in mind, you have no issues. So again, we could ask the same questions, but I think here it's starting to become very clear. We're basically saying, so therefore as a community, so that we don't repeat what we said in general about the scholar, the teacher, so as a community, this is what we're looking for. This is what we need. This is the source of knowledge that is required in the community. So again, we need to plan, we need to discuss, we need to be strategic, whatever it means to you. As a community of knowledge, this has to be a main ingredient for that community to work. Because this is how the Holy Prophet and the Imams are describing the person who is the main source of knowledge in that community. The part that I would maybe add here, a little bit on the side, is that while our discussion right now and while the hadith is specifically talking about the scholar and about the teacher, there's a completely different topic addressed in our narrations, in our religion, religious teachings, simply about how do you choose your friends? How do you decide that this is the type of company that you should have in your life? The type of person you want to associate with bring into your life, be influenced by and influence them, spend time with them, energy with them, open up to them. How, I, how do I choose my friends? And if you go through those criteria, we are also given a lot of criteria, inshallah, later in the series, we're going to spend a lot of time on this. We see that a lot of these traits come back. You also want your friend to be someone who reminds you of God. You also want to be someone, the friend, you want them to be someone who uplifts you, who makes you want to do more good in the world. You're constantly being pushed to be better, to be improved, positive. The Holy Prophet is very clear. When they talk to you, you want to act more. You want to do more. This is not a downer. This is not someone who makes you depressed, who brings you down who makes you pessimistic. No, it's the opposite. Okay, And these are very desirable traits. Our religion says, when you see someone who is a downer and depressed, if you have the ability to uplift them, go ahead. This is important. You're consoling them. You're there for them. But if they're going to drag you down with them, it means you have no ability to lift them up, then you, it's better for you to stay away. One person going down is better than two going down.
Let someone else deal with that. They have the ability, they have the they are equipped to go deal with something like that and lift this person up. There's a reason for that. And so this applies to the scholar, but it applies to the friend as well. And finally, the actions make you desire the afterlife, make you want the afterlife, remind you that there is death and something after death. This applies to the friend and the companion and the person you're bringing into your life as much as it applies to the scholar and the teacher. So with this, we've covered the source of knowledge in the community, and we're supposed to start talking about the importance of the means, which we hinted at until now, which is the gatherings of knowledge. And what do those gatherings of knowledge look like, and what are we focusing on, and their importance? Some of this we've already covered a little bit of in the past, so some of these are going to be reminders. But I'm looking at the time. I think I'm going to stop here. And inshallah, this is the heading that we will cover next. We, will, we have talked until now with you about the who. And we have talked about, so who is part of the community of knowledge. And inshallah, next we will talk about how is that community of knowledge built, starting with the gatherings. As I said earlier, there are two specific roles, communities, participants in the community of knowledge that I wanted to address in a little bit more detail because they're usually never addressed in this way and not under this type of heading for sure. So inshallah, we're going to leave that to next, which is those who are intellectuals and the educated. So you are not necessarily a specialist or an expert in religion but you do have expertise and knowledge and specialization in other fields. How do you fit in to the, into the community of knowledge? Do you have a place there or is it simply limited to religious knowledge? I think that's a discussion we need to have that is becoming more and more pressing and relevant in today's world. And the second topic has to do specifically with women or sisters and the community of knowledge, because there are distortions around this and we need to fix them to make sure that we're all on the same page. Because until now, and we are now at lecture 82, 83 in this series, and we have been talking about reason and knowledge and intellect in Islam for 83 lectures now, and today's lecture is very short compared to other lectures. And not once did we encounter a hadith that says this is specific to men, for instance, or brothers, or boys. Correct? For those who have been here from the beginning. So we want to make sure that we make this topic very clear. There are questions that I have received around this, especially now that we're talking a little bit about the community of knowledge and what it looks like and who belongs to it. And so when we said everyone belongs to the community of knowledge, we need to provide a little bit more details around that. So inshallah, the next time we meet, we talk about the gatherings of knowledge and how important they are in our religion. And to the extent possible, as we said, if it is not possible for you to attend in person, then in that case, between 
spending your time doing something else or attending online, then please attend online. But if it's between attending online and attending in person, then always choose attending in person. And inshallah, this is what we want to talk about the next time. Okay, so let's stop here. So if there are any questions, concerns, comments, we'll take them. So, so the question, the question, because they don't hear it uh, online, so I repeat the question in case it's still on. Ali, I'm not sure. Um, so the question is, uh, in today's world and in today's societies, there are uh, three sources of knowledge or what we can consider to be three schools uh, for the information that we may be exposed to. Uh, the family and, and uh, immediate or extended family, for instance, being one. Um, the rest of culture and society being another school or a source of information and uh, influence. And uh, finally, you know, the actual schools in the literal sense uh, that are imparting uh, information. And this is where we go to educate uh, ourselves. So where do we turn to? What do we turn to uh, when we are trying to seek knowledge when the information that we're getting is coming from all of these, and in a lot of cases, it is very contradictory. Of course, the information is not going to be the same. In short, and so I will refer quickly to the series, uh, in the series and what we have covered until now, of course, we are focused on the truth. And we are saying that we are, as Muslims, our core values and our core foundation and belief is about seeking out the truth. We look for the truth wherever we find it. That's where we want to be. And that's where the source of information that we're looking for is supposed to be. We have a certain amount of knowledge and things that we consider to be truth that we know. And inshallah, later in the series and the next themes, we're going to talk about things like the human instinct, the fitrah, as it is called, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created human beings in a certain way. And what happens when you spend time in society and what you what happens when you commit sins or you're distracted or, 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 what happens to that primordial nature, the true original nature that we have that is supposed to recognize truth and falsehood, supposed to recognize right and wrong, what happens to it? And we believe that religion is supposed to bring us back to that fitrah. It teaches us to go back to our original state, the way Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created us. If we look at what is being taught in schools today versus at another time, or we see what is happening in culture and society today versus another time, the truth is that, and this is the easiest argument to use for this, is that what is being taught today is very different from what was being taught 20 or 30 years ago. And what was being taught 30 and 40 years ago is very different than what was being taught 100 years ago. For the things that are not considered to be the science, those things that are constantly changing, we have to always be careful. Who says that what you're teaching me today is going to be what you teach me in two years or 10 years or 30 years. Which means that this is open to interpretation. Which means that I have to make up my own mind about it. And perhaps simply listening to what culture says 
what I'm going to read in novels and see in movies and hear in the music and, you know, being constantly exposed to in culture and society. This is not really the truth. This is, in reality, the trend of today. We're not really interested in the trends of today. We are interested in the truth. The truth is what we believe to be contained in our religion. So whatever brings you back to that, to answer your questions in that way, what is the truth? The truth that doesn't change. The truth that matches your human nature, your human instinct. This is what we're looking for. We believe that the better someone understands our religion, the better someone is going to be able to bring us to that truth. So if in our family we have people who know this religion, of course they will be able to bring us closer to that truth than what we will find in the outside world, whether it's a school or culture and society. This is what we're looking for. People are allowed to believe whatever they want. We are interested in the truth. So if I'm looking for the truth, the truth that doesn't change, we believe Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed it. So that no matter what happens in the world, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told us, this is the truth. You always come back to this. Today, they, to run a country, they say you have a constitution. No matter what you do in that country, no matter which laws you come up with, it cannot go against the constitution of that country. Our imams, when they talk, for instance, about the Qur'an, they said, this is the constitution that God gave human beings. And so they say, Will you, don't you want to at least look in that constitution once a day just to see what God has taught, what God has put in place? He's giving you kind of, you know, we call it a, a sandbox. He's giving you the, the red lines, the big framework within which you can keep working. You can do whatever you want so long as you stay within this. This means that there are limitations. So long as you stay within this, you're in the truth. This is what the truth looks like. Because around you, everything is constantly going to be changing. Sometimes it will be all truth. Sometimes it will be partial truth, half and half. And sometimes it will be all falsehood. It doesn't matter. I know what my truth is. I believe Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala shared it to me. And as for why I believe Allah shared it with me, this would require the Aqa'id series, which we covered. And inshallah, we'll cover again in the future. Right? There is a reason why we believe in God, and we believe in religion, and we believe in the Qur'an. We have very solid, convincing arguments. We believe that nothing else makes sense. This is the only way for the world to have meaning. And if this doesn't have meaning, then anything goes. It means that there are no laws. It means that everything is contradictory and anything goes. But we know as human beings that that's not the case. If you start walking in the street and someone comes and hits you for no reason, you consider that to be wrong. That's a truth. Every human being on earth would say that's wrong. It's not because we just sat together and we decided if someone hits someone while they're walking in the street, then we're going to decide that this is wrong. Just like we decide that, you know, this red light means you stop. We can all agree that tomorrow, you know, we'll use another color to stop. That's fine. We can agree on that. Not all human beings agree that a red light means to stop. You have to be trained. You have to be taught that when you see a red light, you stop. A child would not stop. 
if they don't know traffic signs. But a child would find it an injustice and a wrong if they're just walking and someone hits them. That's what we mean. We believe that there are truths. Those truths don't change. Sometimes it gets a little difficult to tell. We have religion. Religion brings back to these truths. And inshallah, as we said, in the future we go back to them. A second point related to this topic, which we made extensively and repeatedly when we talked about the, the scholar and the teacher, is that the idea is not that we are focused only on outside of ourselves. Sometimes I look at knowledge as being this thing that you learn over 30 years, over 50 years to become an expert in religion. Yes, that's true. And there are people who do that and they become the experts that way. They become the scholars and the teachers. And sometimes we can refer to them in Arabic. We would say this is a alim. And in English, we're going to say the word scholar. But alim and scholar don't mean the same thing. Why? Because in Arabic, the word alim simply means someone who carries knowledge. They may carry a lot of knowledge, such as the scholar, or they may carry a little knowledge, such as you and I. I can ask you about certain things, and you know about them. In those things that you know, you are a scholar. In everything else that you don't know, you're not a scholar. See, the term does not really work in English. But in Arabic, you are alim in the things that you know. Because you carry knowledge in those things. And that's why we said when we keep talking about the scholar, like today we gave descriptions, the checklist. Now we're focused on the community. But when we spent 30 lectures talking about the scholar, we kept saying, this is not only so that I look outside of myself and I look for people who match this description. This is also about me. We are all scholars. But my level of scholarship or the knowledge that I carry is perhaps less than someone who studied 10 years and that person has less knowledge than someone who studied 30 years. And there is no end to how much you can study. But you are carrying a certain amount of knowledge. Which means that you are responsible to become this person. You are responsible to become sincere and humble and compassionate and that whatever you do, you try to apply it to yourself before you teach others. And we said that each one of us is going to be a teacher for someone. Whether you want to or not, you are someone's teacher. You will have brothers and you will have sisters and you will have friends and you will one day have your own children. Whether you do anything or nothing, there are people looking at you, looking at your behavior, looking at how you talk, looking at how you sit, looking at how you present yourself. You are a teacher in all of those things. You are a scholar. And so therefore, when we say the scholar does this and the scholar does not do that, to the amount of knowledge that you carry, this also applies to you. It applies to all of us. This is not just some distant person sitting somewhere else in the world, the scholar. No, no, you are the scholar too. Now you know this. That's it. You're a scholar in those things that you know. You're a alim in the things that you know. So to that extent, the lectures are not just about 
focusing on that other person outside of ourselves. The lectures are also about us making sure that we are this person that we're describing. This is not something that you become overnight at some point. You know, you study, let's say, religion for 30 years, and then someone tells you, congratulations, you passed, you are now a scholar. And magically you transform into a humble, compassionate, modest, patient, wise person. That's not how it works. No one transforms from one state to another in this way. As you acquire more and you keep working yourself more and more and more, you train yourself, as Imam Ali salam was saying in his hadith, the person who trains himself, they discipline themselves before they look at others. This is a scholar. This is a person who's worthy of respect and merit. This is a true scholar. This is what we're looking for. You do that, you're a scholar. We should all be doing that. Correct? So inshallah, this is the part that perhaps I should have added today, but now we're focused on what to do as a community. And inshallah, we're going back to the more uh, spiritual, psychological dimension. وصلى الله على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله الطيبين الطاهرين.